Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sunday's You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. That's awful. That's not music. That's just people shouting. That's not music. That was God Save the Queen, Pop Pickers, by the Sex Pistols. I've turned into Alan Freeman. Yeah. <laughs> this is Liz. This is Nick. And Liz is doing an audition for a radio DJ job. I'd love to have a radio show, actually. I think they'd say you couldn't sing. I wouldn't have to put my makeup on. I have a bit of a soft spot for the Sex Pistols because... That was God Save the Queen. So in 1977, they released that and their album to coincide with the Queen's last jubilee. And of course, it's the Queen's jubilee this weekend. I've been playing Trying to Spot Megan. Well, I think and she's I supposed to be hiding, her. wasn't she? Well, I spotted her with her big hat. Did you spot her? Yeah. Where was she? She was in a room. She wasn't on the balcony. Hiding behind a windowsill. But she looked very happy. I haven't seen Lilybet yet. But that was God Save the Queen from 1977. And it was kind of a pivotal moment in my life because I'd just done my A-levels and I was moving to London to study journalism. And my parents gave me a birthday party and a sort of leaving home party. And very early for the party, someone knocked at the door of my parents' house and it was this young man called Alan, Alan Paveley. He was the most handsome man I've ever seen in my life. Which you were in love he, with him as well. I was in love with him, actually. <laughs> he wore a Burberry Navy trench coat before Burberry was even fashionable, vintage. He had eyeliner and he was carrying a copy of God Save the Queen and he put it on the turntable and my dad made him take it off. I'm, I'm with your dad. I'm with your dad. Just get it off now. Awful. I remember that the Jubilee in, in 1977, and we had, I was dressed as a, um, a gypsy. It was all fancy dress, and it, at my nan's flats, there was an underground car park, and they did all underneath the underground car park. They put tables out, and there was, there was like, food, and the, we had, wait for it, wait for it, Norman Wisdom. At your party? Norman Wisdom was at our Silver Jubilee party at Cathal Flats. I love all Norman Wisdom. Oh, I love Norman Wisdom. And I've been trying to get my mum to dig the pictures out. She's got a picture of us there. So me and my little gypsy outfit and my mum in I her trousers. I think it's very PC to be dressed as a gypsy. Oh, I was like little gypsy Rosalie. I had little little triangle scarf and beads off the shoulder little top with a basket of roses. I was I was so cute. I don't know what happened. No. But well, there was <laughs> But Norman Wisdom was sitting at the table and with us and my mum can't find a picture and that's my claim to fame. That's who I knew. Nicola's my claim youth. to fame. Norman Wisdom. She met Norman Wisdom. Yeah. There's nothing I can say. I met Adamant in his prime. Yeah. 
And you met Norman Wisdom. I say it with pride. I do. But I love all this Jubilee stuff. Are you enjoying all the Jubilee stuff? Well, I've just been trying to spot Megan. That's the only one I'm interested in. No, but in. I, love all, I love the way... I mean, I, there's been I a lot... I thought Kate looked amazing on the balcony. No, she, she was all did. in cream. She did. I have got a bit of a problem with her dressing Louis in a bloody sailor's outfit, though. I mean, it's 2022... Why is he in a little sailor's outfit, the same as you get in those dodgy paintings, you know, from... I think she should have dressed him as a punk with bondage trousers and a squiggle T-shirt. No, that may have been going too far, but a little bit more modern, do you know what I mean? Just a little bit more. And all the boys have got, like, partings and stuff. But he was covering his ears when the aeroplanes were I know, he's ever so cute. He's ever so cute. But I love, I, love, I love all the street parties and the bunting. There's a street party... Down where my mum lives on Sunday. So Are you going to that? Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So I, I'm, I'm all for it. But no one's invited me to a street party. Come to I'm the... here on my own. You, it's a buffet. I don't do buffets. Yeah, exactly. You can come to the street party. Come. But I'm going to YouTube it and sell it for money. The expression on your face as you're walking along but the But I'd buffet. have four collies running off with the buffet. Yeah, there would be no buffet. They would just be on top of the table. You need to leave the collies at home. So come to the street party. No, no. So do you want to know what I've been reading this week? Go on. I absolutely love... Tweet her into this. I will. I'll tweet, tweet her, in. her into this. Do you mean tag her in? Yeah. Yes, tag right. her in. <laughs> Julie Marson has written one of my favourite books of all time and I read it and reread it and reread it after The Time Traveller's Wife which is one of my favourites, Julie Marson's Something Might Happen. And it's this ghost story, which is on the Suffolk coast, and it's someone's murdered, and she's a mum, and she just had a baby, but she's having an affair with a policeman. It is so evocative of the coast and being a mum and having an affair. Who gets None of which affair? I've done, by the way. How many new mums are up for an affair? She is. They must be bloody knackered. If you want a spooky book to read this weekend, Julie Marson, something might happen. But she's got a new book out called Nonfiction, but it is a novel, and it's about a drug-taking daughter. Now, she got into lots of trouble when she wrote about a memoir, which was non-fiction, about her son's addiction and how difficult he was and how to throw him out the home and everything. It was called The Lost Child. Do you remember I had to go on the Today Show on Radio 4 to talk about it? Yeah, yeah, I do. And there was an interview with her in The Times this week and she said, some of our friends never spoke to us again. People melted away. That, see, it happened to me. But the thing is, he's writing about something like that, like Will Young's documentary about her, his brother um, being an alcoholic and... Which I thought was fantastic. It was candid. It was touching. It, I could relate so much to it. Sometimes you need to hear it from other people's experience, not not the addicts. I mean, the same as I've had a horrible backlash. Julie Marston had a horrible backlash. She had a column called Living with Teenagers. She wrote this book about her son's drug problems. But the problem is, Nick, and I'm going to go on to this in more detail in a second, that is what writers do. And I do believe that if you're a writer and you take the money for being a writer, you've got to spill your guts. You have to. And I also think that then it becomes, there are these literary writers like Monica Ali, and you say you've never heard of Monica Ali. When I was at the Evening Standard, all we ever did 
was published features about Monica Ulling. She wrote Brick Lane. It was made into a film. I thought the book was trash. It was rubbish. It was boring. Yeah. But she was writing about being a Muslim. She wasn't writing about being in outer space. You write about what you, well, know, you know, don't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Monica Ali, her new book is called Love Marriage. Okay. And she was interviewed, I think, at the Hay Festival. They never invite me, but anyway. She was quoted as saying she was left... Listen to this. She was left sweating and terrified oh at the thought of writing sex scenes in her latest book. She found the intimate passages embarrassed both her daughter and her father. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Don't write sex scenes. Write about, I don't know, horses or science fiction. Anyway, she told the Hay Festival, you might end up using words like throbbing and thrusting. (laughs) For me, it was not about describing the mechanics. Those bits were not the point. It was about describing the mental experience of it and the significance of it and not being scared to do that in a way that can be said sexy, stupid woman. Being a writer <laughs> isn't about sparing the blushes of your university-aged children. Sorry. It's about the reader. I'm sorry, can we just get real here? Well, I wanted to write about the mental experience. Okay, let me just run through the mental experience for God's sake, can you just get on with it? I'm tired. And what do I want from Sainsbury's? What do I want from Sainsbury's? Does the dog want to go out? I'm sure I can hear it padding around. Am I going to get cystitis? I'd rather be watching Frasier. And actually, you've got to stop now, move over, because the cat wants on the bed. That's the mental experience. Do you know what I mean? But again, Monica Ali is one of these women, not like Julie Marson, not like me who wants to take the money and run. She wants to write a book about love and marriage and she wants to write a book about having sex during her period, but she doesn't want to upset her husband and she doesn't want to upset her stupid adult children. Grow up. How do you think you were conceived? Yeah, well, just don't read it. Do you know what I mean? Don't read it. I say to my mum, don't listen to the podcast this week. I mean, she does, obviously. But if there's anything I don't want to say, I say, Mum, don't listen to the but podcast. But this is this isn't that always the case, Nick, with the men in my life, three and a half. <laughs> I've always said to them, don't read it, don't listen to the podcast. Now I gave some very good advice to to one of your exes once, and I said, you know, just don't don't listen. This is her job. She's going to do it, like it or lump it. You either choose to be with her and don't listen and don't let it upset you, or you have an issue with it, so you can't be with her. It's it's one or the other, because yeah. she's not going to stop. Yeah. She ain't going to stop. And if Monica Ali just wants to please her family, stupid adult children, stupid husband, don't be a novelist. Go and work in boots. Or just write about something else that don't involve sex scenes. I could write a book without sex scenes. It'd be the story of your life, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be. Welcome to my world. <laughs> what is your book, Nicola? My book? Is it boring? Do you want to work for the author? No and no. My book is This Time Tomorrow, which is out next week on the 9th of June. So I'm a little bit ahead of myself here, so you you can get ready to see if you fancy it. It's by Emma Straub. And do you know what? It's so long. I normally read books on, on my iPad or Kindle or something. It's so long since I've read an actual paper book that when I was reading I found a word that I didn't know and I actually put my finger on the page and what pressed it. What word was it? it? I can't remember. What word was it? I can't remember. I can't, I can't remember because I couldn't look it up because I was pressing on the page with my finger and no menu come up to, to check the dictionary. So, And I actually did that. I mean... 
That's bad, isn't it? That really that really says something. This, so who is Emma Straub? Okay, so this book, I really enjoyed it. It's it's I, I chose to, to review this one because it was about a woman that whose whose dad was dying and she kept going back in time to see if she could make him live longer, save his life, change things to make the world better. And a, a prominent thing was making her dad not die. So I went into it and I found it, when I first started reading it, I kept thinking, well, when are you going to time travel? It starts quite late in the book where she actually starts going back in time to make these changes. Is she copying Audrey Niffenegger? No, she's not. And and actually, I think if I hadn't have read that and had the expectations, I wouldn't have had a problem with the start of the book. It's actually a really good book. It's quite Midnight Library, which I reviewed when that first came out. But it's much more gentle. It's much softer and it's much more gentle. And things I liked about it was the main character had a Tina. So she had a best friend and it didn't matter. When she went back in time, she'd said to her best friend, look, I'm back here. I'm time travelling. I'm trying to do this. And her best friend just said, "Okay, I believe you. I'll work with you on this. She didn't say you're a nutter. She didn't say... (laughs) We always need one of those in our lives. You need one of those in your life. So she had a Tina... And there was that sort of theme of when you go back and she got the man that she wanted. And then, of course, it's not all cracked up how you want it to be. It's, it's, it's not that perfect life. So she goes back and undoes that. So it's, it's, it's a really good book. And she's, she's going back to sort of when she's 16. So there's loads of great stuff in the 90s that you've forgotten about. Pages. There's no Google. Um, Sheryl Crow. Oasis. You know, Colour Me Bad. The Fugees, you know, it's all these oh, great I love the things. Fugees. Exactly. And there's all these great little gentle reminders of the 90s and, and what it was like. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And I think the more you read this book, the better it gets. Do you want to hear about this week's column? Come on. Well, we're going we're gonna to switch things up a bit this week, aren't we? I am the new you. Rather than you being Megan, I'm you. You're going to read it and I'm going to flesh it out. Yes, rather than having my comments. Well, it's quite apt I'm going to flesh it out because this week's <laughs> column is all about having been bought a dress that's size fat. So it's quite and the apt fallout me then. <laughs> and the fallout from so, size fat. So just remember, I'm now Liz. <laughs> the fallout from size fat... In that my ex got in touch because he bought me a dress that I said on the podcast that was size fat and didn't say, oh, I'm so sorry you're losing your house and I'm so sorry you've lost all your hair. I'm so... What he was, it, what he was emailing to say is, I'm so sorry the dress was the wrong size, you need to alter it because I spent all that money on a dress and it was the wrong size. They always make it about their men, don't they? It's called being a narcissist. I actually are really wondering what the point of men are. I mean, I said to... Lawnmowers? No, no. Because I said to Martin... Light bulbs? No. I said to Martin yesterday morning... Did you see him in person? I did see him in person. He's, he's making a, 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 rare appear, a rare appearance. And I said to him, could you just go... I don't feel very Go well. away. Could you just go and get me some oat milk? I'm out of, out of milk. Could you just... I really want a cup of tea. Could you go... No. I said, but it's five minutes down the road. Well, you could go then. So then I said to him, I'm really cold. Would you mind, like, sorting the fire out? No. 
And I'm like, but I've got vertigo. I can't get up. Could you just do the fire? Could you just go and get me some milk milk? Because I can't, I can't stand up. I've got vertigo. No. Could you, when you leave, put the lawnmower in the shed as you leave? No. So I'm wondering what the point is. I think we need a vote, really. I think we need a referendum. What, how to why get Martin is, to say yes? Why is Nicola with Martin? Well, I, I'm now sort of on a, on a mission to get him to say yes to something other than do you want a pint or shall we go to the pub? I'm trying now to think what can I get him to agree to that's useful? So, yeah, so I'm just wondering what the point is. I am. There isn't one. There isn't a point. Shall we do your column? Yes, I'm glad you called it a column. I know, I know, I did, because I'm being you. That's why. In which my weekend loses its fizz. This is when my friend comes to stay. You bastardise in your column. Stop telling people what it is. Right, okay, so, my... All the dogs are going. My friend Andrea from Belfast come to stay with me for the weekend. At the airport, she texted, What's your favourite brand of champagne? I know you're really fussy. I replied, Andrea, I got engaged to a man who doesn't own a teaspoon. Any will be fine. That's not quite true, is it? It is true. You are fussy. Yeah, I am fussy, but I did get engaged to a man who doesn't own a teaspoon. No, that's true, but you are fussy. (laughs) But I said to him, how do you get the tea bag out of the mug? And he said, I use a knife. Oh, Oh, my God. God. Okay. Oh, my God. It was so nice to spend a couple of days with someone normal, i.e. not a man, she helped with the horses and took Minnie on lots of special walks, although Missy wouldn't go. It was so funny. She got to the end of the path that turns down to the abbey and just stopped. Then we walked back, and then she wanted to go in and see the stables, and then she wanted to go home. She'd done as much walking as she wanted to. She does that, doesn't she? She's a girl that knows her own mind, and I admire that. But you see, at least Andrea took my dogs for a walk. Helpful. 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 Andrea paid for dinner, so more. She's so interesting and well-travelled, we talked for hours. She's been everywhere and anywhere. She's been everywhere. And she's beautiful. She's so beautiful. She's beautiful. She's, she's one of these, but she walked in the yard in little wellies, bless her, and I just thought, oh, my God, she's just beautiful. But she's got this amazing Belfast accent. Uh, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit of a fan for Irish, I've got to be honest. My, one of my ideal men would be to have an Irish accent. Do you know, she once met Jamie Dornan... Did she lick him? She didn't lick him, but I, you know, she didn't like him that much, I don't think. Really? Yeah, but she's got a very handsome husband. Oh, OK, we'll let her off then. So she paid for dinner. She, she paid interesting, for dinner. well travelled, and we talked for hours. It's, it's already See, going better man, than a day, isn't if it? If a man comes for the weekend, he lasts... Well, you time it, don't you? You lay bets on how long they last. No, we did. I remember one, one year, I had my boyfriend at, at mine, and... Your boyfriend turned up and we actually sat at the window eating dinner thinking, will he actually make it through dinner or will he be gone? And, and actually, I think it was an hour and a half that time. Wasn't she really stayed the whole weekend. She stayed the whole weekend. But then it all went horribly wrong, didn't it? So you logged on to your email. Did it? Yes, because being Sunday. Oh, on Sunday it went horribly wrong. I logged it wasn't on, Andrea's fault, though. It wasn't Andrea's fault. I logged on to my email, as is the norm, and it was full of people telling me off. Some days are my worst day, you know. Well, you've re- you, you've published a diary, haven't you? Colin. So, well, I'm back to being me now. I've published it. <laughs> You're waiting for the fallout. First estate agent charged with selling my rented cottage said it wasn't useful for me to write about it online. Online? I'm not a blogger. I'm in an actual, you know, physical magazine. 
did I get enough indignant there? Was I indignant enough? But also, who is who is an estate agent telling me what I can and cannot write? And also, why are you trying to be helpful selling the house from under you that you live in? And I'm you're just being honest. In? I tore him off a strip. You did. You did. I replied, there is more to being a landlord than taking the rent to pay your mortgage and that heating might have been an idea. Yeah. And then I got an email from David, who is blocked. So I have absolutely no idea why I can still see his emails. Nicola, Siri, Nicola. Why? 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 I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand that. Perhaps someone out there will know that. Come on then, what did he write? He wrote, Hi, I hope you get this. I'm distressed. It's upsetting to hear that you cannot wear the beautiful dress I bought you. I don't understand why it wasn't exchanged for the correct size at the time. Please take it to a dressmaker and oh, have it Oh, I hate to being fit. told what to do. Let me know the cost and I will be happy to pay for it, love, David. To which she responds, Jesus H. Christ. <laughs> What's the H stand for? I don't know. I don't know either. He's obviously still listening to the podcast, in which the latest addition was I was joking about what I should wear to a formal do at Claridge's. That was your posh do, wasn't it? Your posh yeah. work do. I've mentioned the Dries Van Norton dress with a gold inlay, which is beautiful, I have to say. And he did him he buy it for me i might have said that it was size fat but it was just a joke it was a throwaway comment it was more an indictment of my own body staff since i was 11 than a criticism that he bought the wrong size problem is people can't see beyond themselves it's as if the whole world is glimpsed through a teeny porthole that only allows them to see what concerns them and never the big picture so she continues he doesn't think well, she has a job. It isn't about me. And Jesus, Liz bought me an MPL cardigan with a contrasting collar and I let it get all screwed up and riddled with holes from moths. And, oh, a gold-plated, as he kindly pointed out, Dunhill lighter that I just lost in Plaza Athena because I'm careless. Let's allow this one to slide. Yeah, they never let anything slide, do they? No, they don't, unless it's to do with them. If it's to do with them, they say, don't nag. Don't go on. Can we talk about this tomorrow, as in tomorrow never comes? But you want to say something, no, never. Never let it slide. But then something awful happened after I'd filed this column and had an argument online. And I'm very, very, very like Jill and Joe Biden here because Jill Biden says that she argues with the President of the United States on text. So I'm always arguing with people on text, aren't I? It's, Men. Quite, a, it's quite a good place to argue, really, isn't it? So although I brought up the end peel cardigan and the gold-plated Dunhill light-up, I forgot that I gave him an Apple iPhone, a £1,000 plus accessories, and all I got was, look to yourself and your actions. The matchbox. And a matchbox. The matchbox. A box of matches. Well, he said he bought me a box of matches so that it made something I did every day, like the fire, special. Right. But I've already got the lovely box of matches that I bought from Limewood, all different colour matches, very festive. That box of matches was like a coffin. Well, make the day special would be a nice massage or yeah. a nice facial or a spa day. That'd be make the day special. Or yeah. someone making you a cup of tea or somebody, I Martin... I don't drink hot drinks in the afternoon. No, or somebody, Martin, putting the sodding lawnmower back in the shed when you're leaving the house. Not a big deal. Anyway, should we get on to the, like, the bit that most people will be interested in? Should we do that bit? Go on, then. Anyway, 
Tomorrow, I'm meeting the rock star at the Talbot Inn, which is the foodie capital of Yorkshire. He's on his way up to Scotland. I've booked a table at the bar and stupidly, I'm inserting that, warned the proprietor that I'm vegan and will have four collies with me, two of which are incontinent. You, you should have left the incontinent bit out. Yeah, but they made me book. And actually, when I got there, which is next week's column... I was the only person in the bar. It was empty. Why make me book then? I could have turned up any time. So they could have rejected your incontinent colleagues. <laughs> but we end up with, reader, I'm hoping he's booked a room. Da, da, da. <laughs> you can read this week's diary in full in Man on Sunday's You magazine. So do you want to hear about the archive? I do. The, the archive has made me laugh quite a lot. This is from 2005. And Liz is back to being Liz and I'm back to being me, just in case you get confused. 2005, we time-travelled back to 2005. And this is in the Evening Standard. The day I swapped Prada for a pram. And I just wish I'd have been there. I missed it. I was so tired. I was exhausted. I bet you were actually very good at it, to be fair. Well, yeah, I'm sort of going to read it to you now. There's a very funny picture of me surrounded with children. All these children are now adults, and they probably don't remember the day I came and looked after them. Should we put this picture on Twitter so that yeah. they might they might be reminded? But I went to be a mum instead of Lucy Cavendish. You probably read Lucy Cavendish's article. She's in the Times quite a lot. She used to be my chief interviewer at the Evening Standard. And she had three children, and she lived just outside Oxford in, in, a, in a cottage. And at that time, I was living in central London. I was married. And I had to go and swap my life for Lucy's. Did she swap with yours? Well, no, because I didn't want her in my house because I thought she might wear shoes. <laughs> so she got it easy then. She just got a day off, like, from her kids. She just got a day off from her kids. Uh, well, I was exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been more exhausted. I don't know how people do it. No, I have to say, I have every respect for, for mums But they and keep housewives. running around and screaming. No, and, you, and I think it's considered wrong to just strap them down or put them in a cupboard. Anyway, the piece says, I've never wanted children. I have a busy, unpredictable career. Until a couple of years ago, I'd never had a proper relationship. I've never been envious of women with children. Rather, I've always looked down on them. I'd watch them in the office, furtively hissing at nannies down the phone, rushing back from their lunch hour laden with carrier bags, scooting out the door at 6pm with anxiety etched on their faces, leaving poor, barren old me, as usual, to finish their work. I don't think it counts if they've got nannies. Why are they got ashen faces? No, but they have to spend time bossing them, don't they? Well, I'd rather do that. And oh my God, do these mums moan about never having any money, never having any sleep, or quiet, or sex, and don't get me started on maternity leave. No, don't. There is an unwritten rule in the workplace, which means you are never, ever allowed to express dissent. When I was the editor of a magazine and my fashion director went on maternity leave for the second time in two years, I said something along the lines of, oh, well, that's annoying. And the girls in the office looked at me as if I'd made a roastist joke. When my colleague Lucy told me that, now that she has three children, she wanted to give up her full-time job as a writer to bring them up, I thought she'd lost her mind. 
Won't you be bored, I said. What will you talk to your husband about? Still, that was then. Now, as I enter my fourth decade, I'm starting to think I might have got it all wrong. I have a husband who's kind and sweet. Well, he isn't, is he? I mean, we've learnt that. Well, I'm, I'm going to say, at what point in the marriage did you write this? <laughs> anyway, my husband said to me, just before I went and did this feature, I think I really need to be a dad. Now, I don't believe for one second that a child is an elastoplast for a marriage, but the alternative seems a bit pointless. Sort of, what should we do next? And so we're thinking about it and exploring our options. I have to face up to the reality that I've left it too late, by about a decade. Women my age might look young with our combat trousers and iPods. See, iPods. that's... A, iPods, iPods have yeah. died, haven't they? Yeah. They're actually now, if you try and buy an iPod, they're, they're worth a lot of money, apparently. I wish I'd have kept mine. But deep inside our ovaries, I'm sorry to report, we've taken up crochet and listening to you and yours. And so we've talked about adoption, and we're even going so far as to be interviewed over the course of a year by social services. It all looks possible. But what can I do? Will I ever be able to adopt? Lucy, very bravely, offered to lend me her life for a day. I am to look after her three boys. Ray, eight. Lenny, two. And Jerry, one. Lenny was my favourite. See, Ray would have been the easiest, wouldn't he, eh? He'd just amuse himself. Well, I treated him like a husband and I made him tell me how to do stuff. (laughs) (laughs) She also tempted me with the fact she has a Labrador Georgie in a swimming pool. Hurrah! I can walk the dog in the morning, take a dip in the pool in the afternoon, bake a Victoria sponge for tea. How hard can it be? My mum brought up seven of us, all without a nanny or even a washing machine. I can bribe the older one to look after the little one. The first thing people who live in the countryside do is lie about how far they are from London. It will only take an hour, Lucy told me down the phone. She (laughs) forgot to add, in a helicopter... (laughs) Eventually, I pull up outside her beautiful cottage nestling in an ancient wood. Ray, the old one, is walking Georgie in the lane. I immediately think this is very cavalier as Lucy as they could all be run over. Still, he seems to have survived infanthood, so I let that go. Lucy has that demented look of someone who is about to be given parole. And instead of giving me a precise list of instructions, she waves in the direction of the fridge and pulls on her wellies. She takes a nappy off Lenny and puts it on the worktop. My partner is at work, she says, much as one would say is having a luxury spa day. (laughs) Now, I'm very different to Lucy. She doesn't, for example, iron her tea towels. But I'm warming to the homeliness of her house. There are pictures on walls, really bad homemade ones, and toys everywhere. The fridge is full to bursting. Ask her how much she spends a week on food. Bear in mind, this is 2005. £300, she says. Oh, Good dear God. God. There are no child gates or plug protectors, and I'm very worried about the children being electrocuted or drowned. But before I can interrogate Lucy, she's gone, and I'm alone with three children. I ask Ray what he wants for lunch. He asks for sausages. I tell him I don't touch meat, less, much less cook it. So he settles for a choc ice. <laughs> and you probably then became his favourite person. <laughs> I put Jerry in his high chair. I fumble with straps for four hours. 
while he taps my head with a spoon. I warm him some baked beans. I have no idea if he's in allowed solids. So I ask Ray, who suddenly seems older and wiser than I am. <laughs> I had thought of giving them all a nutritionally balanced meal, but because Lenny keeps running off into the garden, I resort to spooning the beans direct from the saucepan into Jerry's bird-like mouth. I give Lenny a bottle of cow's milk, which makes him shudder as it's cold, and he sits drinking it on the sofa, occasionally spursing milk into the cushions. I wonder if this is normal. Food is everywhere. Before she ran out the door like an Olympic athlete, Lucy gave Jerry an unwashed strawberry from a punnet. Can you believe that? She didn't wash a strawberry. Well, yeah, I, I, I would eat an unwashed strawberry. You'd pick one off the plant and eat it. The baby has escaped, scooting and on the floor. He's filthy and smelly, but Lucy hasn't told me where the nappies are. Eventually, Ray finds some. He's, he's turned into my husband. <laughs> and after about half an hour of wrestling, I had the baby go off, a clean nappy on, and emerge triumphant. I haven't had anything to eat or drink, and my lips are chapped, as I haven't had time to put on lip gloss. I was supposed to be doing a radio interview over the phone, but I forgot and realised I'd missed my slot. We all troop down to the back of the garden to look at horses, which Lenny calls big and more big. <laughs> I worry about poisonous plants and wasps. I haven't been able to clear up the kitchen, and I discover why Lucy has a lab- Labrador. She hoovers up all the scraps on the floor. <laughs> After four hours, I'm exhausted. I peel a banana and later discover Lenny has put it in the toilet. Lenny is my favourite. Not as willful or critical as the older one. He was quite critical. <laughs> I imagine he was tearing his hair out. And not as mute and uncomprehending as the baby. He keeps grasping my hand and snuggling. And I find he, I actually quite like his hot baby smell and his blonde curls. And the fact he looks to me for guidance. This is obviously before the nappy. <laughs> I have in the past, because I was Lucy's editor, phoned Lucy at 6pm, which I now know is bath time. And I've been aghast at the ear-splitting screaming. I'm quite proud of the fact that never once in the day did I raise my voice to any of them. But I also realised I've been doing everything in frustrated, puzzled silence. I'm not bored exactly, but I'd much rather be watching telly. Anyway, Ray helps me put trousers on Lenny, although we forget the nappy, and he makes me a cup of black coffee. I phone my husband. He makes you get the child to make you a coffee. Well, I was exhausted. (laughs) I phone my husband and tell him it's all been going very wrong. It's because you have no authority, he says. They know you don't mean business. Even the photographer who turns up is better at this than I am. I watch him tickling them and getting them to join in a game and I suddenly realise I can't do this. I'm too selfish. I hate chaos. No sooner have I changed Jerry's nappy, I'm wondering about it getting dirty again. When Lucy gets home, she simultaneously grills sausages, puts potatoes onto bowl and tells Ray to get in the bath. Then he crawls upstairs, something I hadn't let him do, having cut him off at the pass at least 50 times. Jerry's in his cot and Lucy chats away if she hasn't a care in the world. I hadn't let any of them out of my sight. And when I question this, she says, oh, I'll hear if one of them starts screaming. The one thing I learnt during my time as Lucy is that when you have children, nothing will be perfect ever again. Your walls will have scribbles on them. Your sofa will smell. Your husband will avoid you and go to work. You will never know what is in Guardian Weekend. 
I can't ask Lucy why on earth she chose to have this life, so instead I'll ask her if she wants to be me for the weekend. What would that involve, she said. Oh, sitting down, watching telly. She just laughs and shakes her head. That'd be like a distant dream for her, wouldn't it? To sit down and watch I telly. I think she was secretly jealous. Well, I'm sure she was, without the words mummy or I want or I need. I mean... If... It was How my mum coped with seven of us... I, I will never, ever know. I'm afraid... I mean, I would have loved to have had children. I really would have. But not seven and not without a dishwasher and not without a washing machine. Or a husband. No, actually, no. Uh, you know. Because Martin wouldn't help, would he? No. <laughs> Every week, lots of you get in touch telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at lizjonesgoddess. Would you like to know what your readers, our listeners have been saying? We've got uh, Gillian Holt who says... Gillian. Gillian. Who says, hi Liz, I always read your diary on a Sunday. And this it's not evening, a diary, it's a column. It's a diary, says Liz Jones' diary. This evening I listened to the podcast. It's wonderful. I imagine you and Nicholas sitting there with a bottle of wine. You have a contagious laugh. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? If we sat calmly with a bottle of wine. The reality is, is we've got dogs pulling wires out. We're nearly knocking the mics over trying to stop the dogs destroying everything. You're incontinent. Well, only when I laugh. And you're, you're, you're contagious What well, did I get the giggles about last week? Something to do with Morton Harker, I think. No, I think it was to do with my husband. Oh, the cram- mag- yes, Clumpy. Clumpy. He wanted yes. to call my new magazine, my publishing empire, Clumpy. Yes. The, the laugh is definitely better than the singing. I have to say that. It's better than the singing. So we've got Diane who says, I've been bulimic for 35 years and I can't get help through the NHS. If I had tiny, huge boobs, the NHS would sort me out. If I was morbidly obese, the NHS would sort me out. Haven't sorted you out, have they? Bulim- <laughs> Bugger off. Bulimia rules my life. It's a hidden disease that people don't understand. Can you tell my story for, for me, Liz, and all the other people suffering from eating disorders? Yeah, you see, bulimia... I haven't really explored bulimia in my writing because I never suffered from bulimia because, for me, that was too messy and untidy. I just yeah. didn't eat. I was bulimic, but I was bulimic because I was first anorexic and then I was getting pressurised to eat. So I then changed to bulimic because then I was tricking people that I was eating, but then getting rid of it. And I think Diane's right. Anorexia is very obvious. Uh, an over, uh, overeating disorder is very obvious. Bulimia is something that you can hide much more But you more see, Diana well. talked about being bulimic, didn't yeah, she? Yeah, she did. Um at a time when it wasn't really talked yeah. about. And there is a storyline in EastEnders where the young girl trying to get into Oxford is bulimic. Oh, OK. I've not seen EastEnders yeah. for years. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do I do think it, it's really difficult. And I think it's a shame because she's right. As somebody that's overweight, I was offered a lot of help. I was offered a weight management team. I was offered the cognitive behavioural therapy. I was offered lots of different help, you know, so she is right, and I, I don't think I saw that when I was bulimic, but then saying that it was years ago, I was, I was so much younger, so I wouldn't know. I think really if you do have an eating disorder of any type, just 
really you have to go to your doctor and say you can't manage you do need help you have to be really pro you know yeah when i went as an anorexic because i went blind on the tube and my i wasn't offered any any help at all no no i was i was lucky but then you know when i was i was just told to eat three meals a day yeah no i was very lucky but then my mum was very proactive i was very young my and my mum sort of marched me to the doctors and and to be honest, the doctor had to be a really brave man not to do something about it. Really brave. And the last letter... Yep, is from Eva in Devon and said, what are you doing to celebrate the Jubilee? Are you going to be nothing, nothing, nothing? <laughs> God save no! the Queen! Make it stop! Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday. But for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.